0: Well, it's Friday morning and hopefully none of you guys have severe hangovers as yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. So uh, I wish you all a speedy recovery if in fact you do have a hangover. Now, this is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm the host and today we have another hunter profile. His name is Jack Faith and he is from Western Iowa. Um a lot of people think, you know, southern and eastern Iowa, that's where the big bucks are at. Well, they're all over the state and uh this guy's from western Iowa and he'll talk a little bit later where he's from, but uh, pretty cool story. He'd been chasing uh a couple him and his brother and his dad had been chasing a couple bucks uh for a couple years and uh everybody connected and it's a really cool story. Uh a lot of as some of you know, uh There's times where this sport we call, if you want to call it a sport, hunting is an emotional roller coaster. The highs, the lows, everything in between, and uh, Jack and his brother have a really cool story that they will never forget, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. So please be patient with this podcast. There was a bit of delay between when I would talk and when Jack would talk, so if it sounds like he's not answering me right away, it's just a very small delay, so uh, it's, it's not too terribly bad, but here's Jack Faith from Iowa with his hunter profile. All right, on the phone with me now, a fellow Iowan is Jack Faith. How's it going today, Jack?
1: doing well how are you doing
0: I'm doing pretty good doing pretty good sounds to me like you had a pretty successful uh two thousand and fifteen archery season
1: yeah my uh my entire family did actually we uh we all shot our biggest gear that we've ever shot so it was, it was a really good year
0: other than your other than your brother who else
1: um uh, my dad shot a buck that we have three years of history with it went one sixty four and my brother Alan, my oldest brother shot uh, He's not a trophy hunter, he just hunts, and he shot one that went almost 150. Nice, so nice. We all, we all shot the biggest deer we've ever seen, so it was, it was nice.
0: Well, before we get into this story of, uh, of this particular buck and, and bucks, as you point out, why don't you tell me where you're from and uh, what do you do for a living?
1: Well, so I was born and raised in western Iowa. I live in Ottawa, Iowa now. It's just uh, about an hour south of Sioux City, out north of Omaha. Um, I actually do construction for a living. Right now I'm working with Morton Buildings, putting up pole barns. So, uh Previous to that, I did a lot of traveling, work with the government, but deer hunting brought me home, so I found a job at home.
0: i tell you what, deer hunting brings a lot of people home.
1: Yeah, it, it brought my brother across the state. He was living over by Iowa City and
0: he just he couldn't stay away yeah that's uh hey there's big bucks around there too i I don't live too far from iowa city myself oh yeah
1: they're they're big there but there's just the access to hunting land
0: yeah that's a fact that's a fact i agree with you there now let's talk about this let's talk about this story here um i don't even know where to start let's start I think I think you said this whole story starts in 2012, right?
1: Yeah, um, it's it's kind of an intertwined story between a buck we call Texas and another buck we call Strongside. They're both uh, my brother shot Texas this year, and I shot Strongside. And it uh, the first picture we ever got of Texas was uh, September of 2012. We believe he was three and a half at that point. It was just a really wide 10. You could always tell who he was. Um, Cause he went an exceptionally long distance on his main beam before he threw a brow. So you could, you could pick him out of a lineup pretty easily. And in uh, September, we've got a picture of him there over one of our, He was a bold speed site or something. And we still had a camera there and he came through and he was three and a half. He probably went 135 at that point. And, uh, we, you know, we just kind of watched him. Said he's going to be nice. We'll just keep an eye on him. Don't shoot him. And then um, 2014, no, 2013, he came back around, and I was living in Iowa, but I was only going to be in town for the first five days of the season, and then I had to move for a uh, for a job. And opening day, I get this buck. He stands up out of the field at fifty. He you know, stands up at 70 yards and came in to 53, but I never got a shot at him. And we'd gotten pictures of him all summer. And he was, we hope, a four-and-a-half-year-old, and he just blew up. He went in probably the 160s as a mainframe 10. We got velvet of him all summer and hard horn. And he was just, at that point, I became absolutely obsessed with this animal. I had him at 53 yards, opening day. At that I wasn't comfortable taking a shot like that and i uh I let him walk and then I, the whole thing kind of changed from there but along the same time in September in 2013 we get a picture of uh just three pictures nothing special of a buck he's got a nice four side but then his other side is just a trident he's got three of them that basically stick to his head and point straight back maybe six inches um. We just noticed who he is. We get three pictures of him in our, one of our plots, and that's it. We never really see him again. Nobody encounters him. We just figure he's kind of an injury buck. Maybe um, I don't know. Maybe he got shot the year before, but he's definitely, you know, we don't even think about shooting him. We just hope he's young and he'll come out of it. And then in 2014, um, the Texas buck completely disappeared. He was just we had EHD come through the farm and it hammered us and we lost, I know it picked up two bucks that went over 150 and I, I didn't see him from the time I saw him in the rut in 13. I was, get, I was in Illinois without getting trail camera pictures sent to me and then he disappeared in 14. Never saw him at all, never talked to the neighbors, nobody had seen him. We all just kind of assumed he was dead. And at the same time, the strong side buck that I ended up shooting still wasn't doing much. He was maybe a five side on a good side. But, again, he still just had three points that came straight back. And he, he carried those into this year, but he obviously did a little bit more this year. But we got maybe one or two pictures of him. And then uh, I think my brother Gary passed him. And uh, that was about it on that day. Again, we kind of just brushed him under because we just, probably should have you know we we're thinking maybe about calling
0: in but then we didn't and we just you know didn't really pay him any attention so, so before before we get into the the rest of this why don't you tell us a little bit about the the kind of property that you're hunting is it is it public ground is it private ground you got food plots it sounds like you do elaborate on that just a little bit
1: well we bought it was probably 10 years ago when land prices were low, we actually got a hold of 320 acres of Lost Hills property. It's, uh, it's all, if you know what Lost Hills are, it's all windblown sediment that formed from uh, glacial runoff. So it's real, It's some of it's steep, but not real tall and big, deep, hairy valleys and grass hilltops. And, and we, so we own 320 acres total. We have 56 acres, that is tillable ground and that goes into corn-bean rotation. And then outside of that, we actually have probably not much more than three acres of food plot that we put down, just a late-season mix to try to keep them on our property. And uh, even though we own this property, we do a lot with public land hunting just because in early October, we don't, we won't hunt the farm. We just won't put pressure on it. So we'll spend a lot of time on public. But Then this year, actually, we changed a little bit we took five acres of our rotation out and put it in alfalfa, and that's that was a huge, huge change for how the deer moved because it actually brought them to the center of our property instead of just skirting us. So we had five acres of alfalfa and probably three acres of uh, late-season turnip mix, and then it was beans this year, so we had another 51 acres of beans that was on
0: us until they picked it. Nice. And does that... Are your did you, when you put those food plots in for the very first time, could you note did you notice a huge shift in deer movement coming to those plots?
1: Yes, we put one in we call the terrace plot, and uh it absolutely changed the way that deer moved on the farm because it was in a, it was in an area that was just six feeders. and we went through the middle of it and we just cut a strip maybe. 20 yards wide, probably 100 yards long. And we just cleared it, pulled the stumps, and planted it in clover. And it absolutely changed the way the deer used the farm. It almost became like a shortcut so they didn't have to go out in the field. And then I I hunted it a couple of times, but mostly we just kind of stayed out of there. We almost call it our sanctuary because it, it's in the center of the farm, and they hit it, and we just, we just let them have that area. I hunted it a couple of times, I said, and I, I passed the buck, there that my neighbor ended up shooting that went 155 so I kind of kicked myself on that one but uh again I was obsessing over these uh these two deer that I said the whole thing's about
0: so when now that you have these food plots and it sounds to me like you you kind of lay off just a little bit early season describe to describe to us where some of your stand locations are at are you strictly like a, a field edge hunter or do you jump into the timber during the rut at all
1: well, we've got two different kind of approaches. It, it, it all depends on what time I get up and what the winds are. But the winds are a huge effect on us. If you can, if you stand on one of my stand locations, you can have a north wind predicted all week long. You get in it, it hits you in the face north. Five minutes later, it's at your back. Ten minutes later, it hits you on the right. So it's a constant battle to fight winds here. But we ended up talking with an old boy that hunts around here, and he kind of told us a way to, to cheat the wind. So what we try to do is we play it, and this kind of depends on all of our fan setups. So whether it works on a field edge or whether it works in timber, it's just wherever we can find this pocket of wind. It's basically what we do is you hunt like an opposite wind of it. If, you're, if your field's in front of you, you almost want your wind at your back blowing into the field. So when it comes over the ridge, we find that it rolls down and pulls our scent and then pulls it back up the hill. It almost catches it in like an eddy there. And that has been huge for us since this guy taught us how to, you know, he just kind of, in passing, we had a conversation with him. He's he's a guy that lives here. He's won the Iowa Deer Classic twice. And uh so he had a lot to teach. And we do hunt field edges, and if we we will do like a, Almost a scouting stand on a field edge to watch, but then when it comes to the rut, my brother's got a stand it's called the Money Valley. Because that's exactly what it is—it's money. And he goes in there, and it's all timber. But then I shot my buck on a field edge. But then it just—it just all depends on. We do both, but I like field edge hunting because I like to see a lot more. But you almost have more. We have better success almost in the timber.
0: Yeah. All right. Now, in those deep valleys is that where you're catching the deer cruising or is it kind of at the top of the ridges where the, uh, you know, where all the ridges come up to the high ground?
1: Well, we do have a, we call it the central hub and it's, uh, it's all of our ridges come at one point. And if you, I actually walked it about three days ago, shed hunting and there's scrapes every 50 feet. So yeah. they're, they're running these ridges. And my brother actually was watching, he sat up on a ridge and just watched, the, the ridges around him and he says he watches these bucks and they'll go and they'll stand at the top of a valley and they'll just stand there for a few minutes and then they move on and it just it, it depends what they smell down in that valley whether they go down in it or not so okay. if you don't have a hot doe on it you got to plan your ridges and hopefully don't let him catch you
0: right so it, it sounds like you guys have to pay a lot of attention to the wind
1: I mean, we live or die by the wind out here. We never have a day that's exceptionally calm. And, uh, you know, it's the difference we've seen between uh, shooting young deer and shooting six, seven, eight-year-old deer.
0: Gotcha. Now, getting back to the story, um, did you guys happen to find any of the sheds to these deer that you were chasing in 2012, 13, or 14?
1: I've never found the sheds to either of these deer. And I think I know why. Um, I ended up, the day I shot this deer, I was out tracking and one of my neighbors came across on me and was talking to me and I showed him a picture of some deer and we got to talking about deer. And he was telling me most of the deer that I've showed him, he's picked up the sheds about a mile south. <laughs> so I kind of, my property doesn't hold bucks except for during the rut it's kind of a strange little middle ground, but we don't pick up a lot of sheds here.
0: Man, that's, that's strange. Any, even with those food plots?
1: Yeah. Even with them, like I drove here tonight and I was looking out in the fields, and I bet I saw 15 deer and none of the bodies told me that they were bucks. They were all, you know, they just, you know how they stand. They look a little different. Yeah. And they, we just don't hold a lot of bucks here. And we I don't know what it is, but we've got food, we've got water, and we've got cover, but they only come here during the rut. <laughs>
0: hey, that's that's okay, right?
1: You know, I I, I I agree with that. I'd rather find the uh I'd rather see the bucks than uh find the rantlers, I guess You come down to just those two choices.
0: Now, do you guys run trail cameras a lot?
1: We we got a mix of them. I only have two out right now just for curiosity, but when we really get cranking in the summer, we probably have six or eight going at a time.
0: Now, what time of the year, you know, you mentioned that your the deer on your property are only coming in roughly, you know, roughly around the rut. When do the scrapes on your property start opening up? When do the um, you know, when do you start seeing rubs or any deer sign and when do you start catching bucks on on camera on your property?
1: Well, it's probably if I were to put a date on it, probably October fifteenth. You start seeing nighttime activity. You start seeing like, branches showing up and scrapes popping up on trails, and uh you're starting to it's starting to ramp up. You see the does just get a little nervous before light or before dark. You, you, they're not entering the fields until after dark, or I'm just not on the right spot. Sir. So middle October, it really starts to notice the shift. <clears throat> but if you were really, to uh notice, if you want to see the rut activity, we've got it pretty much pinned down uh, to November 8th through the 12th. Every year, the 8th through the 12th of November is when it, it's banging on our farm, and that's just when we... If we're going to connect on a deer, it's going to be in those days. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it kind of changes year to year on when it ramps up. It's obviously on weather, and, you know, I don't know if everyone buys in a moon phase, that I do, but... The middle of October, you start seeing it. Then it isn't until second week in November that our farm really turns into what we hope it becomes.
0: So, at this point or at that point, you guys are out hunting, hunting public ground, or or just laying off the property.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it, it depends on whether we've got a pattern in October. If we got one pattern, he showed up, and we think we got him. Then we'll go in after him, but. Otherwise, we'll uh, you know we'll we'll go out we'll hunt public. Maybe shoot some does off public, or if we can pick up on a good buck on public, we'll put it on there. But it's going to take a heck of a buck for me to put a tag on one in October. So it's it's more just being out hunting to you know in October for us.
0: Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, so back to the story here. Um, both these bucks have kind of you know grown up over the years in front of your guys' eyes. And, and, uh, it's, it's the beginning of the 2015 season. You haven't found any sheds. Did you guys have any particular game plan that, you know, switching stand locations, putting up a blind, anything like that, that, that you said, okay, my goal is to, you know, we have a hit list and this is how we're going to try to accomplish killing a deer off that hit list.
1: We kind of did. We had we had a little bit of knowledge of their of their travel patterns. You know, in September this September of fifteen, I picked up. Uh, I finally got some solid pictures of Strongside. I I got he stood in front of my camera for about fifteen minutes, and I probably got one hundred and thirty pictures of him. So, seeing him in the field, the pictures I got of him were in the field that I ended up shooting. In. Okay, and it just kind of worked out that. He kind of patterned himself for me, but Gary's Buck ended up shooting we'd been watching and he he almost did the same thing that he did in 2013 when we were watching him on camera that we never connected with him then so we we did shift a lot of stands around after these deer we, we'd set a camera we'd watch what time they were coming through and then based on when the pictures were going through we we'd go and we'd readjust the stands or we'd we'd move and when Gary shot Texas, I was actually set up on the scrape that he'd been on about six hours before. So he was just on the wrong end of the line for me to get him.
0: Okay. Now let's talk about access to some of these stands and in, in relationship to the food plots that you had, were you bumping a lot of deer going into your stands and, or your blinds or did you have, did you have some back doors into these locations?
1: Um, the stand that I shot mine out of was a ground blind. I had a, I had a real good entrance to it. You could come in, <clears throat> excuse me. You could come in off the opposite hillside, so you didn't spook anything off the field. Cut through a fence, down a road that I'd cut, and just drop into the blind. So you could really get into that one pretty quick. Um, the one my brother shot out of, it took a little bit more. But if you got in there, you have to get in there early in the afternoon or you're going to, you're going to spook them out. But that's our main tactic is getting in early. Yeah. You know, if we're going to hunt, for example, Money Valley, we're in there an hour and a half before light. But yeah. the, the stand that my brother got it out of, you had to get in there probably around, you know, twelve thirty one o'clock if you didn't want to run anything out. Got
0: yeah, you. Yeah. So he starts showing up on trail camera. What time, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about your, your brother's buck first. All right. this Buck Texas what's what's his pattern like at this point in 2015?
1: well he he summered I picked him up over the hill about three quarters of a mile south in June, and then I, I thought maybe it was him, but he was probably a mile into a field, so I wasn't sure did the spotting scope they all kind of start to fuzz at that point. but he showed up. And he actually... We have what is called the Texas scrape and he wasn't hitting that at all but he was still hitting kind of the front range of our hills. Our property is divided by a road. We have 200 on one side and 120 acres on the other and it, it's kind of in the bottom of a valley is where the road goes. And this deer, Texas, was hitting scrape. <laughs> he'd hit from what is called the bus field and then he'd run through that valley, cross at the dike and then he'd hit, he'd scrape through the bean fields, across the creek, and over into, you know, the artesian well areas. Yeah, names means little areas we but he, he basically went from the bus field to the artesian, and he would do that every morning and every night, but it was just a matter of whether you got in there because he was usually hitting it before dark, or before light or after dark.
0: Okay. Was, was, uh, now... When what time was your first encounter? What what date was the first encounter with him? Or did you guys have uh, an encounter with him while you were hunting?
1: Uh, with Texas, I had an encounter with him early on. I was, I think it was October. In October, I had him. Yeah, because he stepped out into the field probably an hour and a half before dark at 200 yards. And he was out there just kinda of lingering and sparring around and so I watched him most of the night and then it was I actually remember looking at my phone, it was two minutes after shooting lights that he stepped into forty yards. And then he ended up working his way all the way into nineteen yards with oh, all I just had my bow hung up at that point. I just watched him dance in and he had no idea I was there and he walked right off.
0: Oh, that's good. Now did when were, were there any other encounters between and what? Uh, actually, what date was that?
1: Um, the day it was late October, I think my dad hadn't shot his yet, so I think it was October
0: 19th. October 19th, and that was the first encounter with Texas. Now, were there any other encounters in that same area, or was he? Wor- you know, was he working different parts of the farm? I know you said he was on a, a pretty tight pattern in the mornings and in the evenings, but did anybody else have any encounters with him between the time you did and his actual, like when, when your brother shot him?
1: Uh, we never did see him on the hoof, other than maybe on the road, you know, see him in the headlights. But, uh, I saw him in late October, you know, mid to late October. And then, we had him on trail cameras, but uh, he wasn't seen again with eyes until my brother put an arrow in him.
0: Gotcha. Now were those daylight photos in your trail camera?
1: Um, most of them were. Most of them were were night. Nice. You would get him. You know, I think the day we shot him, we had a picture of him at five a.m., and that was about the closest to daylight that we had. Okay.
0: So I guess go ahead and, and tell us about what happened the day your brother shot that buck, Texas?
1: Okay. I think it was, uh, let me look here. Yeah, it was November 10th. Is uh, the day my brother shot him. I went out and I hung a couple of new cameras the night before on the night I hung them and I was going to walk past them on the way to my stand to hunt the tent. So I walked by and, uh, Texas and both StrongSide had worked scrapes in front of the cameras that I set overnight. So Texas was on a scrape, 5 a.m., 20 yards from the set that I hung. I hunted the morning. I couldn't even tell you if I saw deer because the evening event kind of kind of overshadowed it. Then the evening of the tenth, I'm uh, I'm sitting in the stand. My fiance actually comes out and films for me. So I'm sitting in the stand over the Texas scrape that he's. I'm really hoping he's going to hit. And it's one of those nights with a lot of anticipation, but it it just doesn't pan out for you. Yeah. So, I bet it was probably an hour and a half before light. My brother texts me and he says, uh, "He just shot Texas." So, there's always that little shot of, I don't know. You're, I was I was thrilled that he shot him, but then there's also a little bit like, I hunted that deer for two years, but right. You know, right. when it comes down to it. I'm just as happy that he's shooting as I would, and he he told me he had him. Uh, he actually shot him over a decoy. He come in, gears pinned back, you know, all bristled up, charging in, and uh, just slightly quartering away when he came in, and he caught just behind the, the last rib, went out the opposite lung, and uh, he blew that opposite side lung out. But it gets interesting because he waited this is where we made a big mistake and, you know, I got excited and I'm just like, well, just get out and go to the house. I'll meet you back. And he didn't, he waited about 45 minutes. It's was perfectly my fault. I egged him out of there. He actually ended up bumping that deer on the way out of the stand that night. Oh, really? So, yeah, he the deer ran probably 70 yards. And actually, when you look at the film, because he recorded the shot, you can see the deer run out of just the upper right, upper left corner. And we don't realize it, but he stops right there. So we just we thought he was gone. Figured, because my brother's a shot. He 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 smacks the deer when he hits him. So I thought, you know, he's hammered him. So he he bumps him, and he comes up. And we look at the look at the shot and think, you know, it's a little back, but you know, it, it'll it's definitely a kill shot. Right. And it's quartering away, so he's got long. And we probably waited until ten o'clock. Because we knew we bumped him. We'd already made that mistake. Didn't want to bump him again. So we went out at probably 10 and saw right where he stood. <laughs> but the the curse of bumping a deer is you get that adrenaline going, and it's kind of a crapshoot after that. I bet we tracked that deer probably until 1 in the morning. We lost blood. We'd find it. We'd lose blood. We'd find it. We probably tracked him 600 yards, <laughs> and then he jumped a fence and we couldn't see any blood, and there was, you know, at that point, it's, you know, we've been up since 4 in the morning hunting. It's 1 in the morning. Let's just, let's just go home, come back with fresh eyes on the 11th. So, excuse me, so we go out. I don't hunt the 11th. Um, i got to help him find this deer. We've got a ton of history with it. We're not going to lose this deer. So, I go out on the 11th, but the problem was that the rain clouds came in on the 11th, and it. Both my fiance, me, and my brother were out there in just the pouring rain. It hammered rain the entire time we were out there. So any blood that we were gonna find was gone. And I bet we we each hiked about ten miles that day, and couldn't find nothing. So, we looked, couldn't find blood, couldn't find beds, couldn't find anything.
0: Were you gri- were and you now, gritting the property rain, at this at this point?
1: Yes. Yep. We've gone back to gritting. You know, we went to where we last saw him. We figured we're doing the, the everything they tell you to do. You know, wounded deer go to water, um, look for thick cover. We're we're doing everything that the books tell you. So we're we're gridding, We're no more than, you know, through thick cover. We could even be five feet apart, or if it's open up, we go twenty yards apart. And we're gridding as best we could. Called the neighbors. Went over to their property. Hiked around. Checked all water. You know, we hiked until probably two o'clock that day and you now we're all hanging our heads pretty low because this is it, it's a it's a almost like a monumental deer for the farm so I wasn't gonna hunt I figured I'd just stay out there with him and uh I'd keep looking but Gary says he's like you know what it, it's November eleventh this this is the time we wait for you know I'll keep looking but <clears throat> I want you to hunt you've only got I took vacation from work I only had about three days left and So it's, he's like, you just go out, see what you can do. You know, at this point, the rain started coming back in and it was getting cold. I'm like, eh, I'm not really feeling it. And so probably three o'clock on the 11th, I, was about the time I got in the blinding. I got in late, but I didn't really anticipate much of it. I was just kind of, kind of really go out there and just almost reset. So it's pouring rain and, uh,
0: I got, I I got one question for you. I got, I'm sorry. I got one question for you real quick. How far away from where you were hunting on the 11th that evening from to where your brother actually shot Texas?
1: From where I was hunting. Right. I was hunting probably 400 yards from where my brother shot him. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. So it's the, it's the night of the 11th. It's about three o'clock. It's still raining. Take it from there.
1: Okay. So I'm, I'm walking into the field and, uh, there's actually a buck in the field that I'm in, that I'm trying to hunt. So I just kind of hunker down and crawl forward and end up in my blind. He was probably three and a half year old. Wasn't, I didn't want to spook him out, but he wasn't a giant. So I'm in the blind and I'm trying to, I don't even really have time to pout because before you know I'm, I'm upset about this gear that we can't find, and before I even had time to think about it, the buck we call Captain—he's probably a four and a half year old eight—and a super heavy eight year old or eight point comes in and he's working a doe in the field, and so I'm like, all right, well you know maybe I can shoot Captain because he's one we marked for to take out. So we're trying to plan for tens here, not real intensively, but if we can get ten points and Shoot a really nice eight. Why not? So, I'm watching Captain work, these, work this go, and then another buck comes in from the back of the field. We call the inside twelve. And he just showed up in the rut. We don't know anything else about him other than he's a shooter. So, these two are out there pushing around a doe, and I'm watching them push this doe around for probably probably an hour. They're pushing it around slowly, moving closer, moving closer running across, back and forth, and there's probably a handful, two or three smaller bucks out there running around. It, it's the best night I've ever had hunting. And at this point, it switches over to heavy, like a really heavy, wet snow, and it's just terrible out. But I'm in a ground blind, so, you know, it's probably 30, 40 minutes to dark, and this is probably one of the best mistakes I've ever made while hunting, is I, like, I thought the hunt was over. I thought, you know, these these bucks aren't going to get any closer. This doe worked in, and uh, I couldn't tell you why I did it now looking back, but I ended up shooting the doe. I thought, you know, I'm I'm not going to come out of this empty-handed. So I shot the doe, and it was like someone set a firecracker off. These bucks came out of everywhere. I didn't realize it, but this captain buck was only about 20 yards from my blind behind the doe. So the doe streaks off across the field directly away from me, Captain is directly behind her, and then from my left comes this great big heavy ten. I have I've never seen the deer before. I haven't seen the deer since. And then from the right is Strongside. I didn't know he was in the field. I hadn't seen him the entire night. I hadn't actually seen him for three days. So he comes running in, and the three of these bucks are kind of jockeying over this doe. Seems dying. And they're running, fighting, circling. And so I'm just absolutely cursing myself. I, I think I said you're stupid about 65 times. <laughs> I just, I thought I'd made a huge mistake. So I'm watching this show and uh, I look up in this pen that I'd never seen. is running almost directly at me. I don't know what he saw. I didn't make any sounds. I did nothing. He's just full sprint running at me. So I look down, I knock another arrow, and I I look up, and so he slightly curves off to the left and runs off towards the other field. I'm like, all right, well, you know, let's let's see what happens here. So still cursing myself, thinking I made the worst mistake of my hunting season so far. But I grabbed the grunt, and I've never seen a deer react like this. I can't see strong sight at this point. As far as I know, he's still... Over there in that ditch, trying to find that doe with with Captain, I hit the grunt, I think twice, and it was like he came in on a line. I'm I'm looking down, hanging my head, looking for I can't remember what I was looking for, but I didn't see the deer enter the field. And I looked up, and he's almost he's paralleling towards me, and he's at a trot. <clears throat> so I draw back, and I um. Uh, my bow was slightly off tune. You can call it an excuse. but So I draw back on him at 42. I ranged him at 40. He t- he stepped to what I thought was 42, and I shot. And uh, it gets kind of blurry after there. I thought I hammered him and uh, going called my brother. And my brother was actually on top of the ridge, probably no more than five 600 yards from me, circling, looking for these deer, or looking for his deer. And all this was happening in the valley below him. So nice. <laughs> I call him, I'm like, Gary, the shot's wrong side, you need to get here. So he he ran to the blind, but I got excited and I ran home. So I get home and he calls me and he's like, Where are you? I'm like, I'm at home. He's like, I'm at your blind. Meet like, <laughs> me at the house. So it it just turned into chaos. I he he's like, I never thought you could run that fast. <laughs> I'm in full hunting gear just bursting through the woods. So we get back and uh we watched the video, and I hit the deer high. It's not. I don't like it when on the TV shows they say I hit him a little high, but he shot three inches high. Like I hit high on this deer. It was a bad shot. I'm still not proud of it. So, you know, my elation kind of fades when I see the when I see the hit, and then I look out the window and it's just pouring the heavy wet snow any blood that was going to be on the ground is gone. Right. So again, you know, bless your heart. My fiance comes out and she's, she's more than willing to go. So heavy, wet snow, me, her, and my brother, we hiked for four hours that night, hoping maybe we could just even see where he went, you know, maybe something. So we hiked all night, couldn't find him, nothing. Yeah. You know, at this point, we're feeling like we're probably the worst hunters in the county. in the country. We're just, you know, we've wounded two deer that we've been hunting our entire season. We've been watching these deer for three, four years. We're obsessed with them. We had our chances, and as far as we know, we blew it. So, November 12th comes around. um, All day, I hiked. We hiked all day, both Gary, me, Cassie. We hiked all day looking for this deer and, you know, nothing. We didn't find blood. We didn't find tracks. We didn't we didn't find him. We didn't find Gary's deer. And we're we're doing it. We're do, again, we're gritting. We're going the direction that he last went, going towards water. Everything that we thought we knew to do right, we were looking. So we looked all day. November 13th, I, just, I was done. I told him that I'm going to hang up my bow. I shot my deer. I didn't find him, but I shot him. I'm, I'm sure it'll kill him. He's rutting up right now, but when he comes down, it'll kill him. So I planned on being done. We're actually working on a barn, Hank, or pouring concrete. And uh, we had a conversation about whether filming was too distracting, whether it cost us these deer. You know, what's the upside of doing it? You know, Why do we film if it possibly costs us the two best deer we've ever shot? And
0: so, you, and you guys were self-filming, right?
1: People. We were self-filming, yes. And we had the conversation... at that point, Cassie couldn't go, so I was self filming and Gary always self filmed, so we had the conversation of you know why do we film if we've just killed two deer that we've ever seen, but we're not going to be able to recover them so we you know we uh it was a low point I've never been that sad self- about deer hunting in my life, but we were we were very low about it, so we uh November 14th, we all sat down and we talked, like, we just, you know, we, periodically, we all meet up in the family and just talk about, you know, goals for the farm and goals for hunting and, you know, what, you know, anybody's got anything on their mind and, uh, we'll just talk about it there. And my dad, he's like, he says, you know, I know you guys are feeling low about this. You're not feeling good about it, but you can't be done. We just, you got to keep hunting. This is what you guys do, you know? You know, he understands, you know, everybody wants a deer. You just, you know, so he says, You guys are going hunting tonight, the night of the 14th. But just go out, get out in the woods, reset. I don't care what you do, just go out there and hunt. And I remember Gary, he said, He said, I've been pressured into doing a lot of things, but I've never felt so much pressure to go hunting in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we peer pressured him into it because he wasn't going to go because we both hung up our bows. You know, we shot our deer. So, we're going out and he goes and he hunts a valley that it's never been real productive for us, but it's a good fit and I go and I sit in another stand, it's on the same field that I shot my buck on. I just, I don't feel right about being there and you know, I just I'm I'm thinking maybe I'll just shoot it though. I'll just hang it up, I'll be done. So I've made this monologue, I filmed, I was still kinda of filming, I brought it with me, I wasn't even sure I was gonna do it and I was talking about how well, I'm probably not going to film, but if, you know, I can maybe just film them being there, that'll work on it. But, you know, I'm not not going to try and focus on filming the shot. And I remember I was sitting, I was facing west, and there's a stand directly behind me that Cassie usually Cassie sits in to film me, and it faces directly, directly east. And I remember thinking in my head, I'm like, well, you know, if the deer are going to come, they're going to come from the direction that Cassie usually faces, because she's usually hitting me, telling me they're coming. And I turn around, and I looked at the direction that they'd normally come from, and I see a dead deer on the ground. And so I'm scrambling through my bag. At this point, I'm just, I don't care. I'm scrambling through my bag trying to find my binoculars. and can't find them, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, well, if I get out, I'm going to blow this hunt, but I don't care. I probably jumped out of the tree. I'm not sure I did use the ladder or not. And uh, so I run down the tree, and I run over. And probably seventy-five yards from the base of my tree that I was hunting, it was laying my buck. I'd uh, I it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that of all places he was there. So then I, you know, I put my hands on him, and he was still warm. Like he he had he was still warm. He wasn't rigid. But kind of just yeah. I got a bit emotional, and things got blurry right there. And I'll admit it, I cried like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Extremely excited about it. So I called my brother and I said, Gary, you got to get here. There's a, I said, I found him. I need you to get here right now. If I interrupted a hunt, he knew that I wanted him there. So he's like, all right, I'm 20 minutes away. And I called the house and I talked, my sister answers the phone because my family's all about hunting. My sister answers and I said, I found him. He's like, we'll be there. So then she jumped in my truck. And, uh, Cassie was driving my truck. My two sisters were in there, two of my three sisters. And then I heard my truck coming from about three quarters of a mile away. Cause Kathy was just rotting on it. To get there. <laughs> she was aha on it through the field to come up. And so they come flying up and slide the truck to a stop. And I don't know where she wants to drive, but she did a good job on it. So she comes walking up and, you know, I'm talking, I'm like, he's right over here and I'm pointing off, you know, to my left there and, so we go to walk through the trees. Gary's not there yet. He just knows that I found my buck. And so I'm walking off kind of, you know, we'll just say towards, you know, kind of the, the northeast. And so then Autumn starts walking off towards the southeast. That's so I'm like, Autumn, he's over here. He's, he's on this side of that tree. She's like, no, he's over here. I can see him. So I said, what? She's like, there's a dead, there's a dead deer over here. So I thought, oh, that's, I'm like, cool, maybe he just followed my doe, or maybe, I don't know, he followed a the doe there. I So I thought maybe, you know, he something. So then she walks up on it, and it's actually my brother Gary's buck. He's laying there probably no more than 25 yards from my buck. No way. And in between them is a big, down, dead tree. And they just, so Gary doesn't know that this deer is here. So then he pulls up, and I scurried up and got my camera and started filming him because I'm not going to miss that reaction. And uh, it was just—it was almost surreal that what we—the mistake we had made is when Gary's deer, when I said it jumped that fence, it followed the fence, and it hadn't jumped the fence at all. It had gone maybe another 200 yards down that fence, and when it jumped the fence into the alfalfa field, it piled up. So, it, but it piled up in a spot that. It was in the complete opposite direction of anywhere we had looked and gridded. And then my deer had done—I don't know what it had done—but it had died that day because it was still warm, rigor mortis hadn't set in, and it—it was—it was eerie to the fact that it had—it wasn't going towards water, it wasn't going towards the area that it traditionally bedded in. It just happened to be walking along and died 25 yards from where my brothers had died. It was, it was one of the <laughs> strangest events in the woods that I've ever encountered
0: now let me say let me say something for the listeners some of this is caught on on video and viewer viewer discretion advised you guys were jack yeah. you guys were jacked up when <laughs> when you both realized that these bucks were number 1 dead and number 2 within 20 yards of each other.
1: It was, I just remember my dad walked around going, this is just weird. (laughs) It was, it was surreal that, you know, I don't know what had happened to make this deer walk to the point that it fell where it did. And, you know, if it hadn't been my old man talking me into going hunting, I probably wouldn't have found him until I was shed hunting in the spring. And it was it was nuts. And my brother, he he'd hammered his buck, but he just bumped him. Yeah, we made that mistake. That I I urged him to get out. I'm like, all right, you got him up, go. And we bumped him, and he went, changed directions, and went a lot further than we thought he would on one month. It was, yeah, I, I definitely got into it. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a little worked up on that.
0: I tell you what, the good thing about it is. I have been on the opposite side of, of you guys where I, I hit a, about a. I I think he was going to score between 200 and 210 and hit him, never found him. And you guys actually had the opportunity to find him. So I I know exactly how you're feeling up until the point that you actually found the deer.
1: Yeah. I remember Kathy told me she was probably going to commit me. I mean, <laughs> we were, she said I've never seen you boys because me and my brother are very close. And she, he goes, I've never seen you that upset about anything. You know, it just it just rots your soul when you wound a deer. Let alone, it doesn't matter what it is. If you wound a deer, it's just it it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. Yep. Everybody I, does it. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it happens.
0: Yeah, that's a fact. They what's that old saying, if you've never wounded a deer, you've never you haven't been hunting long enough.
1: Yeah, that or you're lying. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) It it it's luckily it worked out for us. I mean it uh So we learned the biggest thing is we've learned so many lessons from this.
0: What were what let's go ahead and talk about that. What are what are a couple of lessons that you learned? from this experience? Well,
1: personally, the biggest one I've, you know, I always preached on wounded deer go to water. That's just, you know, it's worked for me in the past is uh, wounded deer go to water. So, you know, it's just you think, well, we know our farm pretty well. This is the path that usually take to water. Let's go that way. Okay, this didn't work. Let's grid the direction they last went. So, the mistake that we made is we should have been doing concentric circles. You know, just the point that we saw him last start circling right instead of just walking a direction that we think they went just do concentric circles and make the circle bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you're confident that he's not in that circle you know because if we had done that if we'd gone to the point that we'd last found blood of texas and we'd done concentric circles we would have found that deer the next day because he he'd piled up on that fence that night he you, know, you blow a deer out of a lung, it, they may spook and go away, but we'd have found him if we'd just you know, maybe put our heads on a little straighter, quit thinking with emotion, and just logically go about doing circles.
0: Right. And,
1: right. You know, maybe we'd have found him. Maybe we wouldn't have. Maybe it was supposed to happen the way it did. I, I don't know. but That that was a really big one for us because it was the same thing with mine. If I'd have done concentric circles to where I shot him or where I last saw him, uh, it's hard to say whether he'd have been there or not, because I don't know if he was dead that day or the next day, or whether he died the morning we found him or what it was. But circles was the biggest thing that we picked up, and that changed. that's going to change a lot about how we track here. Especially if we lose blood, I'm going to circles. It's just how that's going to work from now on.
0: Well, that's a good one thing.
1: We could have avoided all of this. What's that?
0: I said that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We I mean it, it worked out well for us but you know, there's a hard lesson to learn. But the second one is everybody should know this. We just got excited and we weren't thinking is wait until dark to get out if you shoot a deer. Right. I mean if you're not unless you see him just pile up or her pile up, just wait a little longer. If they're dead, they're still gonna be dead after dark. And if they're not, they might be dead after dark. You know, it's just again we got excited because this is the deer we've been chasing for a long time and you know, we jumped out of the tree and we just got after it and we ended up bumping him and maybe he would have died right there because he had a pile of blood where he was standing where, where we bumped him
0: right he put
1: his blood out right there and that have been the end of the story on texas
0: i got but, you know i got guys who you know, tell me any questions any questions whatsoever 24 hours or overnight, at least. Then they go in the next morning. Any questions?
1: It, you know, and that's probably a better way to go at it. Because then you go in with light on your side. You got fresh eyes, a little more logical thinking. Because, as you can see, if if you see in the video, we we get emotional about these things. <laughs> it's uh, it's our life. It, I, I left a career to come home and Yeah. You know, it. it's our life. This is, this is what we're here for. But I guess the last thing I learned is uh I was almost getting cocky with my bow. I I I shoot pretty well. You know, I'm not fantastic but I can shoot forty yards fine. I can do that, I can make that shot. But the mistake that I made was shooting, you know, the end of my range in poor weather. You know, 'cause you know I read afterwards that if you can shoot forty, shoot twenty in the rain. You know, it just makes sense because maybe it, you know, a small error at 20 is a big error at 40. And that's yep. the difference between a lot of blood on the ground and not at all. Right. Right. It, it was just, I shouldn't have reached out quite as far as I did. And uh, it worked out for me, but it very easily could have not worked out for us. Which so I guess, kind of, let the weather dictate how far you can shoot bow.
0: So what did, what did your buck end up scoring?
1: I got him scored at the classic, um, and he went. Let's see. He netted about one. No, that's where it is right here. He netted one fifty-seven and seven eighths, but he grossed one eighty-six and an eight.
0: Dude, yeah. So <laughs> deductions are so denied. stupid. They are so stupid. That's yeah. thirty. That's almost thirty yeah, inches of I, deduction.
1: Yeah, I had a buddy. I told him it, and said, "That's just for fishing, man."
0: Yeah, that's a fact.
1: So i I just go with how many inches of antler is he wearing?
0: That's right.
1: That's what he's for.
0: That's what you should, in do. my opinion.
1: That's, what, I think so. I mean, what are deductions on a non typical deer?
0: Right. Right. What? So, um,
1: yeah, he, I scored him. Well,
0: What did your what what did your brother's deer end up scoring
1: Gary's eight ended up scoring one forty seven as a typical eight
0: hey man, that's pretty wow. big
1: like little to no deductions of him yeah, so he uh, he was definitely on his downhill, but still did the monarch of a deer I mean 148, 147 inch eight is in my opinion that's a big deer
0: are are they were they big bodied deer?
1: Uh, Just This one I didn't talk about, but my dad's that he shot, it went 164 and it hit the scale right at 300 pounds. Yeah.
0: I've killed one uh, 300-pound buck. I bet
1: mine was...
0: And they're giant.
1: Yeah, he was 300. I bet Gary's was... I bet both Gary's and mine were probably 275-pound deer, live weight. Yeah. And that's two weeks into the ride.
0: Yeah, that's nuts.
1: They're getting plenty to eat. Well, uh,
0: I, I tell you what, man, we, we try to
1: keep...
0: I tell you what, Jack, first off, thanks for coming, coming on the show and telling the story. It's, uh, it's definitely a good one when, uh, even the, you know, the, the roller coaster we call deer hunting comes to an end, you know, and it's right over the two deer that you, uh, that you ended up shooting. So, you know, thanks for coming on the show and telling your story.
1: No, it's one of my favorite to tell, so if anyone will listen, I'll tell it. I appreciate you having me.
0: And there you have it, another Hunter Profile podcast in the books. I just want to say thank you to Jack for taking time out of his schedule to talk with me and share his story on the podcast here. Uh, One thing I want to say is if you guys are enjoying these podcasts, please go to iTunes and leave a review about the podcast so others can find it and others can enjoy it as well. Uh, Feel free to share it wherever you want to share it. Uh, Leave comments or get a hold of me if there's a particular, um, you know, company you want me to review or if you think you know someone who might have a cool story or if you yourself have a cool story, you know, I also want to make sure that... uh, you know we finish out this bow review podcast strong and um you know get a hold of me if there's a couple bows that you guys have shot that have not been shot already i know there's a lot of off brands that i've mentioned and they're not even really off brands they're just brands that are not as accessible as your, you know, your your Matthews and your Hoyts and your PSEs. So we want to give every company a fair shot. So if you live close to a dealer of, uh, let's say, like a Martin or a Darton or even a PSE, or heck, we have we haven't even had anybody review a Bowtech yet. So go ahead, let go test those bows out, take some notes, let me know what you think, and I'll get you on the podcast. And also thank you guys very much for listening Um, you know like i always say if it wasn't for you i wouldn't be doing this thank you thank you thank you and uh last but not least man when you're up in a tree and this is the serious part you know I, i try to say it every podcast you're halfway to the tree forgot your safety harness it is not worth falling out of a tree and never being able to hunt again so wear your damn safety harness